Do you know who was named the best putting mat in 2022 by my golf spy? It was the mats from Birdie Ball. It'll help you sink more putts and make more birdies with a Birdie Ball putting green, all in the comfort of your own home. Check out Birdie Ball online at birdieball.com. Birdie Ball is here to make golf more fun and accessible. Find out more at birdieball.com. Welcome to Grilling at the Green After Hours, the conversation that took place after the show ended. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome to After Hours here on uh, Grilling at the Green. Uh, we've got Terry Kaler with us today. Terry, uh, he's he's like the guy. He's like the Mr. Wedge. You can just put it that way. I don't know if anybody ever called you that, but, you know, um, besides the wedge guy. But I think that's fascinating that uh, I've always appreciated, well, especially in golf, Terry, but in anything, like you said earlier, fishing poles, shotguns, um, all the hands-on kind of stuff. I always appreciate people that can create and see something and say, I can tweak that a little bit, or I can make this a little better. Or they, they take their designs and they, uh, my dad used to say, stop fussing with that, you know, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I never could, you know, like that. And so I, I find that, um, I always find that very inspiring to me. What is the, what has been, um, do you think is your biggest inspiration in the golf world? What, what you talked about in the regular show, because you're, you know, you're, you're building wedges for the, the, the 12, you're not, uh, you know, building wedges for the scratch guy or the tour guy, but what outside of that, what has been your biggest inspiration? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I, I was so blessed to, um, to be raised where I was raised in a small town in South Texas on a little nine hole golf course with a father that was a good player and a father that encouraged, if you're going to get into something, learn all about it, whether it's fishing, whether it's bird hunting, whether it's golf, whether it's, you know, working on lawnmowers, sure. whatever it might be, you know, learn all about it. And so I guess my dad was, I lost my dad at a very early age. I was only 27 when my dad passed. And so I missed having that adult relationship, but I think dad put that, that curiosity um, in me. And so I guess it applies, you know, to, and, and the love of the game of golf. And yeah. so it applies to, I mean, I love golf architecture. I love golf history. I love golf instruction. I love, you know, always challenging myself to figure out better and better ways to, to, to improve my own golf game. Um, I've always been a range rat. I love going to range and just experimenting with things and, uh, and going on the golf course and experimenting with things. And, so, yeah, I, I have to give my dad as that inspiration and then kind of met so many wonderful people in the industry that have shared knowledge with me that, you know, everything I learn is because somebody shared knowledge with me and that triggered me off into another direction of asking questions. And um, and so, I, you know, I guess I've had so many, but but my, my key inspiration would be my dad. Yeah, um, mine too, actually. I lost mine. Uh, it'll be, uh, 30 years ago. Yeah. 30 years ago, next February. So, mm -hmm. and, and he and I were always pretty tight, you know, and, uh, he was a horse guy. I grew up on a horse ranch and, 
And uh, we could do anything, but the horses always came first. So yeah. that, that was it. Um, you know, you were talking in the regular show about, uh, you know, Big Bertha. I actually played with a guy not long ago, not last week, but it was a while ago. And he, he had a Big Bertha. And I picked it up and it felt like an anvil. On the yeah. bottom, on the bottom of a, um, you know, a T post, a metal fence post there. So, anyway, all right. So let's uh, let's do a few fun things here for you. Um, is there someone out there in the golf world that's really grabbed your attention in the last year, besides me? Yeah, you know, um, I'm, I'm not. I guess I'm not a massive follower of the PGA Tour, and so. Um, this whole tour and live thing has kind of lost me because I think sometimes, you know, you hear these guys saying, you know, this is for golf and this kind of thing. And I think they have an overinflated sense of importance to the game. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I don't know anybody that would quit playing golf if the tour disappeared tomorrow. We don't play golf because of the tour. And and maybe it does bring people into the game and maybe not. I don't want to deride the tour, but, you know, that whole thing has been – uh, you know, been crazy out there, but, you know, I, I guess there, you know, I, I respect entrepreneurs. I respect people that, that find an idea and, and run with it. Um, but I couldn't single out anybody in golf that is, you know, particularly an inspiration to me or, or, you know, that, that I pay particular attention to. Yeah, I get it. That's how I hope that, I mean, it's not the answer you're looking for probably, but I can't think. No, of no. Oh, yeah. That guy, that guy or that girl, I, I would say, I would say categorically that I am blown away by the talent on the LPGA tour yes. and the skills. And I, it was year before last, I think, maybe it was last year, the leader on the LPGA tour, I think her name was Lee, was her proximity to the hole was better than the best guy on the PGA tour from every yardage bracket, from 100 to 125, 125 to 150, 150 to 175, 175 to 200, she averaged closer to the hole than the four guys on the tour that dominated each of those categories. Now, when you think about that from 175, she's hitting, you know, probably at least a five iron, four iron, maybe a hybrid, and those guys are hitting seven irons, and she's hitting it closer than them. Yeah. You know, from 150, she's hitting a seven or eight iron, and they're hitting pitching wedges, and she's hitting it closer but I think overall, you know, when you look at the yardage and the and the approach shots that the that the women are hitting in with the 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 clubs they're playing the golf course with versus the clubs the guys are playing with the golf course, I mean, they are extraordinarily impressive with how accurate they are I, and, and how skilled they are. I think a lot of male golfers in particular don't appreciate just how good they are. And, you know, uh, they're, it, it's pretty amazing. You know, I think you're uh, dead on there because um, I've watched regular tour. I've watched Corn Ferry tour. I'm talking about in person uh, for the last 14 years or whatever. I've been covering the LPGA here in Portland. And if you if you put all your preconceived notions aside and watch those ladies play, they'll smoke your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, they're they, they because their physical plant is so much smaller than the guys. Yeah, you know, you've got guys like Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson. These are big, powerful athletes. You know, Tiger kind of brought that that profile into the game, 
these are big, powerful athletes. And yet, you know, these, these LPGA players and top women collegiate players, they're, they're maximizing the output of their physical plant that they have, you know, that girl may be, I mean, there's some, you know, some girls like the Corda sisters that are six feet tall and this kind of thing, but they're not anywhere like Brooks Kepka in strength profile, no. but, uh, you know, it's, they're, they're and their, and their techniques and seams, um, you know, and they get more out of a golf club on a pound for pound basis than the guys do when you really get out to it. Absolutely. Okay. Um, now let's do some fun stuff here for you. Uh, if you could play golf with, and then dine with a historical figure, Terry, who would it be? And what would be on the menu? And don't say brisket. I know you're from Texas, but don't say brisket. You know, uh, it, this, I would to spend a day with Ben Hogan and, and play golf with him and then have dinner with him and, and pick his brain, um, you know, would be God, that would just be, be it. Um, and of course it'd probably be a big steak and a martini clearies as Mr. Hogan called them. Um, but, but that would be so enlightening to, to, to have, to be able to have that experience. Um, you know, that would probably be my number one. I saw him once. Uh, I was, uh, I used to do horse shows and stuff and I saw him in, in, um, Fort Worth there and he was eating lunch. Uh, they just said, yeah, that's him. Don't go over there. And I respected that, you know, but, uh, that was the closest I ever got to him, uh, besides having clubs later on that were manufactured by his namesake company. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting. All right. Um, if we de declared Terry Kaler as supreme ruler of golf for one week, you were supreme ruler of golf, and everybody in the golf world had to do what you decreed, what would you decree? Wow. The supreme ruler of golf. And you do have good questions here, Jim. So um, I would decree that if you can't have fun, you have to leave the golf course. You can't come out here without having fun. I'm, I'll, I'll applaud you on that. You can work as hard as you want at your game. You can be frustrated, but you have to understand and appreciate that this game has its own and its own share of, of enjoyment. And it's, it's a challenge. This is not an easy game. It's the hardest game there is, but, but the challenge, the fun may be in the, challenge it's not going to the carnival it's not a circus i mean golf's going to deal a lot to you in, in four or five, four and a half hours but when you get through you should have a measure of enjoyment that and i know barney adams who i like a lot he wrote a column some years ago that golf is not fun golf is a challenge it's interesting it's this and this and this but you know fun is going to disneyland and that's not what golf is but i think the golf is enjoyable maybe fun isn't the right word but you know, go out there and enjoy the the, the golf course. And, and guess because I'm on a greens committee and I really care about my golf course and every golf course I've ever been on, it's like I want to have marshals with paint guns. And if you don't fill a divot or if you don't fix a ball mark, you're going to shoot them with a paint gun and you're going to get fined when you get in <laughs> when you get into the golf course. I think we need more paint guns with our marshals. There you go. I, I'm with you on that. 
out of all the uh, out of uh, out of all the practice and and you know warm ups and uh, all this you know working through the bag and all that, is there one one club or one practice routine that is your least favorite? No, because I enjoy the learning process. I enjoy. Uh, you know, going out and 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 just going to the range and hitting you know 75, 100, 150 balls, um, you know, because and whether it's putting or chipping or pitching or working on little half wedge shots or you know working on the driver, I just enjoy everything about striking a golf ball and um, and the and the learning curve that goes through that. So you know, I, I I would say there's nothing about the game that you know that. I mean, the only thing I really dislike is right now in Texas, you know, it's uh, it's 430 here where I am and and I could go to the range, but it's 97 degrees and high humidity. And so that's a little unpleasant. So I'm not going to work on my game like that. But last night at 730, I walked over to the 17th green with six balls and a wedge and spent about 45 minutes just chipping because it's fun. I just yeah. enjoy it. Yeah, there you go. Um, you remember the very first thing you ever got in trouble for as a kid, if you did get in trouble and I'm, you're a kid, so you're going to get in trouble. Ooh, the very first thing, no, I, there was plenty. I was the second son and my brother, my older brother was goody two shoes. And so I wasn't going down that path. So yeah, I got my share of trouble. I didn't ever do anything dastardly, but, um, you know, probably, and maybe that's the creative thing. It seemed like I remember we were not, I didn't get a lot of spankings, but they were doled out when necessary at my house. And it seemed like I remember seeing the wall in the hallway of our little two bedroom frame house, seeming like a pretty good palette to be creative with my crayons when I was little. And I proceeded to do a piece of artwork. I thought it was anyway, on the hall, the, the wall in the hallway. And my parents did not appreciate my art nearly as much as I did. So I think that's the earliest one, but every kid does that. I think we had a Terry, we had a woodshed and my mom was really the enforcer. My dad, you know, would have to dole out the, the lickens or whatever, but what he would do, he was a pretty cool guy. If my mom would, you got in trouble with my mom. It was kind of wait till your dad gets home and he'd show up around six o'clock and she'd tell on you, and uh, this didn't happen all the time, but he'd take you out to the woodshed, and he'd close the door, and he'd say, pick out a stick, and he would, and then he'd turn around, and he'd, we had coats hanging on the wall, and he'd hit the coats with the stick, and then he'd say, every time I hit the coat, you yell. And so I'd, <laughs> and I'd yell, but we got busted on that so it was that only lasted a couple times but uh, yeah we got in trouble for that i think he got more trouble than i did um probably do you think that uh if our uh and i don't want to dive into politics i mean i'm sure you and i probably sim share similar views but do you think if we could get our politicians to play uh do their their political jobs in the in the realm of being a golf you know what i mean kind of correlate the two you think they'd do a better job i'm not sure what you're asking there um you know and uh without getting into politics you know i just i um I'd, I'd like politicians to just say here's what i'm gonna do and 
you know, and go do it or try to do yeah. it. But, but, um, you know, I'm not sure what you're asking about the golf. I'm not sure any of the politicians would have an op have the ability to tee it up on the first hole and count them all till they get to the 18th without some kind of shenanigans going on. That's frustrating and sad to say, but you know, no, I think that's true. And that's kind of what I was getting at. I didn't frame that very well, but I heard the idea. I don't know who it was. Maybe it was uh, Robin Williams or somebody like that said politicians should be like NASCAR drivers. They should wear who's paying them on their on their shirt. You know? <laughs> That'd be funny. That would be good. Um, do you think that. um Big changes should be made in golf or even golf advertising, uh, or should you just should we just keep going the way we're going? I don't I don't have an answer to that. I just like to get people's opinion. You know, I mean, I think golf is golf is what it is. I mean, it's a challenging game, uh, so it's always going to be. But it doesn't give immediate gratification. So, you know, there's there's a large percentage of the population that golf's too damn hard to learn and they're not going to take the time to learn it, to enjoy it. Um, that's a limiting factor. Uh, golf is, you know, it's a it's a sport that's expensive. And and so, you know, it's uh, um, you know, it's not going to ever appeal to the entire cross section of population because, you know, it requires a big piece of real estate that requires a lot of money to to support to take care of even to a modest level of, of, uh, you know, agriculture. Yeah. <laughs> but, but just by nature, it's like America's cup yachting. I'm sorry. You just don't get into that. If you don't have the money for, you know, multi-million dollar yacht or offshore fishing requires a big Hatteras cruiser. I mean, every activity out there has an entry fee to it. And, you know, whether it's, you know, anything from golf to, yeah. you know, it, and so, you know, I mean, I think that we need to just accept that, you know, the cost of golf is is escalating because the cost of everything is escalating. I'm on the Greens Committee at our at our club and fertilizers and, you know, and seed and and uh, water, <laughs> you know, everything, water, everything is more expensive. What you have to pay the guys to work on the golf course, you know. I mean, they have to make livable wages and livable wages higher than it was. So our, you know, we constantly have budget challenges to take care of this. You know, it's a little small town country club, but it's a nice golf course. But is it, you know, it's not Augusta National, and it can't be, you know, yeah. because we don't have that kind of budget. But, um, you know, but golf by nature is a game that, that you know, has an entry fee to it that, that's bigger than the entry fee to some other things. There you, you know? go. Terry, what is something your spouse was right about, but you still think they were wrong? No, wait a minute. They were right, but I think they're wrong. Yeah. Well, I've had a couple and, um, you know, I, I think I get real focused when I'm on something and I don't, um, I don't switch gears. I've always admired women that, Women seem to be the ability to just switch gears from one topic to another topic. They're, you know, they're doing something and they get interrupted. And they immediately switch gears. And, and I need time to do that. So, um, you know, my ability to switch focus has always been a challenge for me, but it's also been an asset because when I put the blinders on, I can just get dive in completely focused on something and and distractions, you know, really don't bother me. Sure. 
Um, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? You mean an animal other than a human being? Yes. A uh, Labrador retriever. Because my lab right here has got the life, got the best life ever. Because, and, and you know, her food is taken care of. Her housing is taken care of. She gets to go out and fetch the retrieving dummy. She gets to go bird hunting. And when she stares at me, I will do anything until I figure I'll just give her a treat or I'll take her outside or I'll check her water bowl. So all she got to do is look at me to get whatever she wants. So I want to, I mean, that was kind of funny because people used to say about our house that if there's such a thing as reincarnation, they want to be reincarnated as a Kaler dog. But, you know. I think I, I think this Labrador Retriever has got the best life going. That's particularly, like, particularly in my house where I'm totally trained. Yeah, well, that's our cat. Uh, it's got us trained. Uh, we used to have dogs when we had the ranch, but where we live now, we not we've got big yards, but they're not fenced, and so we have an inside cat. What's your absolute favorite uh, food or dish? Oh man, I. I have so many because I am a foodie. I love all kind of food. So, you know, it I and I like to cook. So I cook, you know, a lot. Um, I don't know that I could even pin it down to I don't I mean, I have so many things that at any given point I'm going, man, I want some of that. I want some of that. But I think really, really, really good pork ribs yep. are pretty hard to beat. Yep. Yep. Just had some yesterday. Um, when you travel and you've traveled a lot and all over the world, what is your favorite city to visit outside of this country? You know, I haven't done a lot of travel outside of the country, but your backdrop right there, St. Andrews, the home of golf, it, it would have to be there. I mean, yeah. everywhere, I made a trip there in 1990. I haven't been back but it's on my list to go back and been talking to some golf buddies about making that trip again. But, you know, just the golf in, in Scotland is so pure and so raw and, and the people, you know, are so knowledgeable and great place. Okay. Terry, if you could erase one mistake from history, not particularly your private history, but one mistake from history, what would it be and why? Wow. You know, there again, you know, you could get political with that or you could get I'm, I'm going to go light with this because it's after hours. So I think the one mistake of history in golf is when the cavity back irons came about. And so it made prior to cavity back irons, everybody played a blade because that's all there was. And so pretty much everybody could hit the eight, nine and pitch what I call the round clubs. And then more advanced players could could hit the five, six, and sevens pretty good. You know, which these were the lofts in the 30s. And it took a pretty advanced player to hit the two, three, and four. And those were the lofts down in the 20s back then. So along comes cavity back golf clubs. And all of a sudden, five, six, and seven irons are a hell of a lot easier to hit. And two, three, and four irons are within reach of more golfers. But the eight, nine, and pitch were launching the ball too high with this cavity back. But because of this notion of match sets, the answer was crank the lofts down in the high loft golf clubs to try to bring ball flight down. The mistake was, in my opinion, is maybe the answer was maybe match sets means they don't all look alike. 
and we preserve muscle back type of designs in the short clubs and we modify that design in the middle clubs and we magnify that cavity back perimeter weighting in the longer clubs and a match set gets redefined and a match set means they're the same brand they're the same model but every club is a different club you can't make the eight iron look like the five iron you and in today's world i think this is where iron sets are way out of whack because we're we're applying six iron technologies to pit to what i call p clubs because they're not pitching wedges anymore sure and so I get off on a tangent on that, but I think I'm going to be lighthearted with this. I'm not talking about world order and and yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, birds and all that stuff and nuclear bombs and all that stuff. I'm talking about you know what how we define a match set of golf clubs went astray back then because we moved the pitching wedges, the peak clubs from. 50 and 51 degrees all the way down now to some of them are 42 and that's an eight iron. I'm sorry. You cannot pitch the ball with a 42 degree golf club. You can chip the ball. You can hit golf shots with it, but you cannot hit a true pitch shot with a club below 48 or 50 degrees aloft. And you know, when you're 70, 80, 90 yards, you need to pitch the ball with controllable trajectory, controllable distance and controllable spin. And you can't do that with a 42 degree golf club. So that leads me, this is, a follow up on that. What do you think of like the uh like Bryson DeChambeau had Cobra and they put them out now on the market, make single length all through the bag, same length, same length of shaft from your four iron to your you know uh 56 degree wedge, they're all the same length in the shaft. I you know, one guy in the world is playing high grade golf with that with that arrangement until it becomes universal. I, I just don't think the laws of golf club physics allow that to work for most people. Yeah. Um, you know, what we've, what we've had over the course of years is we've kind of settled in that to get your distance, di distance differentials between clubs is a function of shaft length and loft of the golf club. So if I make my clubs all the same length, then my foreign is the same length as my nine iron. I don't see how I'm going to get 70, 80 yards of distance differential between those golf clubs. And that's what I need to play golf. Yep. So, absolutely. You know, I mean, Tommy Armour did that with a club called the EQL back in the eighties and it didn't work. And, you know, I don't think, I don't think it'll work for most people and, you know, prove me wrong, but, you know, I mean, somebody of Bryson DeChambeau's skills and talents and strength profile can probably do it. But I don't think Joe Average golfer that hits five iron 150 or 60 yards, I don't think he can get there. Yep. Uh, name a, uh, name one golf book that should be mandatory reading for everybody that plays golf. One golf book. If you okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you two of them. That's fine. If you if you really want to understand the golf swing and you want to be a really good ball striker, it's Ben Hogan's Five Lessons. The modern fundamentals of golf. It is it is a breakdown documentary textbook of how you know how to swing a golf club with repeatable uh, you know consistency. There's been so many other wonderful golf books that are outside, but but I will tell you, and it, and I'll qualify it as a golf book. But Dan Jenkins' autobiography is one of the best reads ever. Yep, yeah, but I've he got was. He was an amazing writer, led an amazing life, and you know, obviously was a great chronicler of Ben Hogan. But Dan Jenkins was brilliant, and and his autobiography gave him a platform to turn loose on his favorite subject, which is him. 
Yep. <laughs> that is true. I read most all of his, I read all his golf books. And I, of course I read North Dallas 40 and some of those, you know, but, um, uh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to jump in here for a second, Terry. I just read a couple other books. I mean, I've got stacks. I, I love to read at night before I go to sleep. Okay. I, I read every night for at least like 45 minutes. And so I read everything from cookbooks to golf books. I really like history, autobiographical history books and stuff. I was reading a couple of books by uh, a contemporary current author. Uh, writes for one of the big sports magazines. I'm not going to say his name. And I was reading this and the whole way through the first book, I thought this almost mirrors one of Dan Jenkins books. All the characters names were different, blah, blah, blah. But the, you know, the, the theme of the, the theme of the book, a lot of the uh, situational stuff in the book. So then I read his second book and I'll be damned if it wasn't just uh just a mirror of like money whipped in one of those, you know, uh, I, I just like, you're not even original, you know, <laughs> Jenkins was original. Okay. Last couple of questions. I'll let you go. Uh, do you have a favorite classic movie? I tell people, and this is true. My favorite classic movie is Casablanca because I love Bogart. Um, I love the, the acting in it. I was kind of a pseudo actor at one time, but that's my favorite movie. What's yours? My favorite classic movie, you're going to probably laugh at this, is Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire's Holiday Inn. No, I don't laugh at that. That's good. Because I, I just, I think the, the the era of Hollywood song and dance, you know, singing in the rain, Gene Kelly singing in the rain would be my right in there with it. Yep. Uh, but those are two of my favorites. I'll probably watch them, each of them, two or three times a year. There you go. And, um, uh... Now, this is going to be a stretch for you, but if your worst enemy was on death row, would you volunteer to cook their last meal? If my I don't have any enemies that I'm aware of, so it's hard for me to hard for me to to answer that because I I just I guess I just I don't I mean, I've been wrong to buy people and, you know, hey, they made their decisions to do that. And, yeah. you know, some people may feel like they've been wronged by me and I don't feel like I've ever intentionally wronged anybody. Um, but I just don't. I, the whole concept of enemies is alien to me. There you go. Well, let me rephrase that then uh, from the other show. What would your last meal on death row be? Terry if I was, what would I want for my last meal? Yeah. Okay. So. I got to have um, you ask good question. I'm going to give you a good answer. So there's a Texas uh, swing band called Asleep at the Wheel, Ray oh, Benson. Yeah. So Ray Benson, and he's got a song called The Last Meal. And it's, I want a brontosaurus steak and I want to die. And, and the whole thing about all these things, it's like, because the whole deal is I'm going to death row and you get to pick your last meal and you can't go till you've had it. So I want a brontosaurus steak and a you know saber tooth tiger eggs and all this kind of stuff. And so there you go. There be I mean it'd be the last meal. I think it's called the last meal. It's by uh, Ray Benson, "The Sleep at the Wheel." It's a yeah. funny, funny song. Oh yeah, 
Terry Kaler from Edison Wedges. You can find out more about Terry at just go to edge edisonwedges.com. And uh, you're still writing your blog, aren't you? Yeah, right every week for golfwrx.com as the wedge guy. There you go. That's it, Terry. Thanks for being with us. You've been very patient with me today, and I appreciate that. Hey, it's always fun. I appreciate it, Jeff. No problem. Again, sometime. We will. We'll be back next week with another edition of After Hours and uh, go out, play some golf, have some fun, and uh, do it right. Take care, everybody.